How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? Honestly, going pretty good. No tech problems today. It's a miracle. I know. It's like we actually know what we're doing now, sort of. Oh, wow. Only sort of. Only sort of. Only sort of. That's why we're not a digital influencer. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> so Tim, before we go on to talk about everything we got to talk about tonight, I just want to give a really quick shout out to the victims of the bus crash that happened in Ottawa. Yeah, that was nuts. Holy. Yeah, no. And like I've taken, like I've taken that route before, and it's never thought I something like that could happen, and yet here we are. No, and I mean, in all the years that I took the city bus going to school, you know, nothing like that ever happened. But, you know, it is a possibility, especially when you're traveling, right? And, you know, anything could happen. You can get into an accident. It can break down. Something like this can happen. But it's just really unfortunate that there was people who ended up passing away because of it. Yeah, well, what's interesting is the Ottawa bus stations, they don't have to contend with other traffic. It's dedicated bus roads. Really? That's what makes this thing all bizarre. Yeah, that section, it's a dedicated bus road, if I remember correctly. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I just wanted to give a really quick shout-out to them before we head into the episode today. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And uh, prayers out to the families, as usual. Absolutely, absolutely. So, with that out of the way, Tim, let's head right into the episode by talking about our cover athlete for this episode, which is Season 2, Episode 14, also known in chronological order, Episode 42, the Tom Pricing episode. So, Tim, do you have any memories of Tom Pricing? Well, I mean, it's an interesting player because Tom Pricing is one of those players that he looked like he was having a solid career as a, like a, a second-line guy, and then he gets he leaves Ottawa after that Stanley Cup season and then just kind of falls off the radar. It's really odd. Mm -hmm. I was going to say kind of like Wade Redden, but you could tell that Redden was sort of coming into the, the wrong side of 30 by the time he left us. Yeah, and... I still, to this day, find, like, the disappearance of Tom Pricing bizarre. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Tim, we got to talk about next week's poll, because next week is Season 2, Episode 15, also known, Episode 43. Now, we have two players on the board for the poll. We have Roman Wick and Peter Regan. This is, like, a flashback from five years ago of players we hoped were good but weren't. Yeah, kind of like Matt Pumple and Shane Prince. Oh, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, I guess some real heavy hitters, but uh, also very, very 2011. Oh, absolutely, man. And you know what's funny is that the week after that is going to be episode uh -huh. 44, and we've got some big names on that board, but we'll talk about that when it happens. Yeah. You know, I think I'm going to have to go and figure out whatever happened to Roman Wick. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I think I might have to do that too, Tim. Yeah, him and Bobby Butler. Ooh, there's a poll right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Will we wrap around to episode 7? Well, yeah, you never know. If we get to episode 107, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So, Tim, how was your week, sir? Because for myself, I had an alright week. It was my first week back at work after a couple of weeks off. And, you know, I was just trying to get back into the rhythm of things. Did pretty good. Didn't cause any floods. Didn't hurt myself. Actually, that's not true. I almost went headfirst into the fucking servery line coming off the deep fryer, but... How did you do that? Okay, so... At work, the servery line up top where the flat tops and the fryers are, there's Mm -hmm. some grease traps and some hood vents that I have to clean every week. And so I got my one foot off the top of the fryer, but I, for some reason I couldn't get my other foot off as well, and I almost fell face first onto the floor. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so almost eventful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also I almost broke my neck playing hockey too, but... Oh, jeez. Yeah. But isn't that just regular hockey days? No, not really. I mean, I've been pretty good the last several weeks. I haven't fallen down, hurt myself, other than last Wednesday almost breaking my neck. But, you know, I didn't break it, and I'm here, and I'm doing well, and I'm here to... And I want to hear about your week, Tim. Uh, didn't do all that much. Again, just kind of settling back into the flow of things. But, uh... On Friday, uh, the 10th anniversary of, uh, it was the 10th anniversary of one of my favorite uh, games from the Xbox 360 era, Tales of Vesperia, uh, had its 10th anniversary re-release nice. for uh, Switch, Xbox One, PS4, and the PC. So I picked it up for Switch, and I've been playing that for a good chunk of the weekend. Mm-hmm. So not a ton of uh, retouching was needed to be done for the game. Because it already, even ten years, like ten years ago to now, it's still regarded as one of the best games in that series, and one, definitely one of the top JRPGs made. Okay, I was gonna ask what genre it is, but you just answered it right there. Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, Japanese-style role-playing game. Uh, very well voice acted. The cell shading is beautiful. Great story, and it has probably one of the best battle systems that I've ever played in an RPG. So the way the Tales battle systems all work is they're all based off fighting games okay so and this one just has a very tight fighting fighting style to it right it has a it combos very well there's lots of ways to really customize fighters okay like you can kind of mutate your skills to fit your playing profile and uh it's not hard to really it's not hard to organize a character but there's a lot of definitely a lot of possibilities in the way you can build your characters without and the story is just massively expansive as well so uh if you do get a chance uh, go definitely go check out tales of vesperia uh definitive edition it's available pretty much on all e-retail sites and in box stores excellent now correct me if i'm wrong wasn't one of the legend of zelda games on gamecube also shell-shaded yes wind waker was shell-shaded okay that's what i was thinking of that was the yeah, right. That was the first one on GameCube. It wasn't. Um, that wasn't the second right, one. That was also ported onto Wii. I think it was at the GameCube version. I think I would. I never get this one right. I can't remember if it's the GameCube version was ported onto the Wii or the Wii version was ported onto the GameCube. I always get that one backwards. Uh, no, I think it was GameCube uh, onto the Wii. Uh, okay. Yeah. Although I do remember a fun tidbit about that game is uh, Link is normally left-handed, mm-hmm. but most players are right-handed. So they changed 
what hand Link used his sword. And so, as a consequence, they had to mirror the entire world for the Wii release. Really? Just because of that? Yeah, because it changes how Link and the world interact. Hmm, okay. But yeah, it's a fun little detail if you ever look at the maps between the two games that are mirrored. Nice. So, Tim, let's talk about last week's episode. And actually, before we even do that, we got in a chance to interview Pan from the Sun's Call-Up. So, what were your thoughts on of our interview from last week, Tim? I thought it went pretty well, all things considered. You could tell all... I don't want to speak for Pan, but you can kind of tell that after the first few minutes, we all seem to be kind of having a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it went really well, and it was definitely a lot of fun to do. I think so. You know, minus the whole problem with GarageBand not reading my mic. But, you know, I was able to figure that out, and it's obviously working now. And I also got to send a voicemail into the show. Oh, shit, I forgot. That's all right. I gave you a shout-out. Okay, not even a you blew it, though? Not even a a you blew it. How the mighty have fallen. I know. (laughs) I know, but you know what? I know that. I know that I blew it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got a chance to listen to that interview actually a couple of times this week, and I keep listening back going, wow, like I really can't believe that we actually got to interview Pan. Well, I just like some of the stories we got out of him. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... didn't expect half of the stories. I thought he would give us some little tidbits, but he went really into detail with some of the stories that he has behind the scenes and talking with Ian Mendez and... Dean Brown, and of course, the Ask Me Anything with Amy Dezel. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, like, just how much of it, du- di- like, he just kind of chalks up to dumb luck. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, though, it does seem they they made their own luck. Yep. Yeah, and that's all you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving on to that... We also recorded our episode from last week. Now, I actually really liked the episode because I thought that our energy was good. The points we were making were really valid and overall just a really good episode. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't really get a chance to listen back to it. You know I suck at podcasts. Yeah, I know. And that's why we changed the format to talk about the recording of the episode. And that's, for me, that's what I sounded <laughs> like when I was going back re-listening. Well, I didn't get a chance to really listen to it, but I got a chance to edit it while listening to it. So I could definitely hear that our energy was good, the points we were making were really good, on point, and there's so many good things going for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just felt like an episode that was going good. Yep. Well, hopefully we can continue that into this week, Tim. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And the Sens are definitely doing better this week, so we should too. Absolutely. Well, I know that one way we can do to make this episode good, Tim. Yeah. By segueing into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So we actually got to give a shout out to Ottawa Centre's forward Matt Duchesne and his wife because they welcomed a baby boy into the world, Bo David Newell Duchesne, on January 9th. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really good. And actually, I didn't make a note of it in the game after following he was born that Colin White gave Matt Duchesne's son the game puck. I thought that was a really good gesture. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's not cute, Tim? Uh-huh. Talking about deaths. 
I'm glad we opened with the birth instead of the death this time. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta start with the positive, then head into the negative. A 20-year-old man <laughs> died after suffering a stroke while playing ball hockey at a junior college in Granby, Quebec, with a group of friends. Alexis Marquez... Marquis. Marquis, thank you. Collapsed on the floor as his friends attempted to resuscitate him, but was unsuccessful. Yeah, it's crazy how stuff like that just kind of creeps up. Yeah, and you know, you know what's really sad is I was looking at my notes right before we came on, and I cannot believe that I couldn't pronounce that. Eh, it happens. Yeah. But, like, yeah, sometimes just freak th freak accidents happen, and that seems to be what this was. Mm-hmm. Because, like, a stroke for a 20-year-old? Jesus. Yeah, but you know what? You've read about stories like that, at, but it's usually, like, either former players or just you know, middle-aged guys playing drop-in hockey that usually die of heart attacks. So when you hear a 20-year-old kid dying of this, it's just like, oh, that hurts. Yeah. Except on to the next Eagles story. Yeah, on to the next story, buddy. Former Columbus Blue Jackets captain Rick Nash has officially retired after 15 seasons. Nash, drafted first overall in 2002 by the Columbus Blue Jackets, recorded 437 goals, 368 assists for 805 points in 1,060 games with Columbus, New York, and Boston. So, Rick Nash has been one of these players that I've been very... I kind of have a mixed opinion on him. He's To me, he's kind of like Vincent LeCavalier. The guy had top three talent but from what i saw it to me he just seemed to play more like a top six forward yeah and it, i guess it seemed like he played really well in columbus and then when he shipped off to new york somehow the magic was gone mm -hmm. and look i'm not shitting on rick nash because when you look back at his years in columbus like he put up some really solid numbers and some really really good point totals but i don't know whenever i've seen rick nash play i'm just like Kind of like Vince LeCavalier. I watch him and I'm thinking, okay, something's, something's not connecting for me here. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and it was definitely Nash's later years. You could tell he kind of slowed down. Like, the last few years in New York were up and... It was really up and down. Mm -hmm. What is it about New York? that like, all these players, they go there and they end up shit in the bed. Like, Scott Gomez, Wade Redden, Chris Drury. I mean, you can't say the same about Yarmory Auger. He did incredible in New York, but... Mm. And same with Sean Avery. Avery did very good there. Or even Shanahan. Brendan Shanahan did decent there. Uh, Pavel Burry. Well, Pavel Burry was sort of the end of his career. Theo well, Fleury didn't have the best of years, but, you know. That's the thing, though, is it's like... I Did Rick Nash come in at, when Glenn Sather was still GM? Yep. Okay, so the old joke about Glenn Sather was he was done his free agency on July 1st. Mm -hmm. And he'd just bring in names with big star power. Uh, regardless if they're on the end near the end of their career or not. Yeah, and even when Theo Fleury went to New York, and he mentioned that in his book, he talks about guys like he went to New York, Alexander Dagg went to New York, all these guys went to New York, and he's just looking around like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you know, and none of them really panned out except, well, no, I, I don't even want to say Fleury panned out because he, even he didn't. Yeah, so a lot of people would joke around that during like the period from 2007 especially it was the new it was like the new york rangers geriatric home plus lundquist mm -hmm. and that team did well enough yeah but it was the Sleep. excuse me but it was the 
the guys who that weren't as big of names, like a Sean Avery that really came in and lit a fire underneath the Rangers. Yeah, or just having Lundqvist. Yeah. God, I miss Avery. So good, Blair. <laughs> he was such an asshole, but I loved him. I mean, it's top-tier bands. I know. Actually, do you want to talk about another agitator, Tim? Yeah, sure. Boston Bruins agitator Brad Marchot called out teammate Charlie McAvoy over disciplinary issues that McAvoy was having, which he himself admitted to, stating that Marchand is really looking out for his future and how he should carry himself throughout his career. Now, isn't that funny, eh? That Brad Marchand, when he came into the league, he was such a shit disturber and such a prick on the ice, and now he's really developed into a leader for the Boston Bruins. But he's still a shit disturber and prick on the ice. Let's not get that wrong. True. But he's really developed into a leader along with Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, that's fair, but then it's also his point production is really wrapped up, too. Mm-hmm. I often wonder how much of that was him playing with the World Cup of Hockey in 2016 because he was the best player for Team Canada in that tournament. Again, hard to say, especially because that might have just been a harbinger of things to come. Yeah, it was kind of sure. like Ryan Dezingle, right? Dezingle was really a non-factor in Ottawa, then he makes the lineup... Score some big goals, and now we may lose him in free agency. Yeah. <sighs> kind of sad. This offseason, uh, fuck, this is going to kill heck? us, Tim. Yeah. What the heck was the exact disciplinary issue? Apparently, from what I was reading, he was missing some team meetings, and there's a couple of them he was late for, and Marchant said, hey, you know what, Like, you really need to take this seriously, and I understand you're a young player, but you really need to, you know, you really need to change because this is not how professional athletes act. Okay. Yeah. So it actually was something significant more than he didn't go to Moxie's. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like what when Tyler Sagan was with the Bruins, but yeah, you know, that's not here there anywhere, Tim. Yeah, because I, I always wonder when I hear, like, criticism of behavioral issues, what does that actually mean? Yeah, because it, it could mean anything, right? And I think that's where disciplinary issues, that's such a gray area because you, as a, as the public, you don't exactly know what the problems are, right? Unless you're in the inner circle. Yeah, and it's, like, that's just kind of the thing. Yeah, like, look at, um, like, even Mike Hoffman, right? Like, we heard rumblings about how he was in the locker room and all these other kind of things, but we didn't know, right? And then the, you yeah. know, the whole thing with Monica came out, but, you know. And then that thing, it just burst into the public imagination. Like, that's such a weird... Yeah, it's like, you hear rumblings, a lot of times it's probably nothing. Sometimes, though, it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like the Evander Kane stuff, too. Yeah. That is true, Tim. Like, when the team was throwing his stuff into the showers, you're like, oh, something's really not going on here. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to our next story. National Predators forward Austin Watson revealed on his Instagram account that he had fallen off the wagon and began drinking again after following a 23-month stint of sobriety, which led to his domestic assault arrest back in June. Watson also revealed that he had been dealing with anxiety, depression, and alcoholism since he was 18 and had entered the NHL substance abuse program after his arrest. 23 months is still fairly impressive, but... It's a shame he fell off the wagon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, hopeful. I guess for the sake. I don't know if he's still married or not, but I hope for the sake of his partners or children that he may have, he gets back on the wagon pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Because when I read about this story, apparently him and his girlfriend were having a heated argument and a witness flagged down a police officer at a gas station. But from what I understand, apparently him and his girlfriend are on really good terms now. So, you know, it looks like things have kind of cooled down. Okay. Oh, is that the one where it was... It didn't seem clear that anything had happened. Or no, be, well because or... well you could tell that there was like red marks on her chest where he had shoved. Oh, her. right, right, right. Yeah, this is not like weird. a Ray Rice where he sucker punched her in the elevator uh-huh. sort of deal, but yeah, I remember there was one we were talking about where it was really un. It seemed really unclear what was going on from the way it was reported. I can't remember which one it was because usually when the ones that hit the media are so cut and dry, like that was awful sort of thing, right? Yeah. Like the Slava Boy and Hobbs. Was it Watson? I think it might've been Watson that we talked about. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you on that one, Tim. I, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah, I can't even think of it right now. Yeah. Because I remember when we were reading the reports, it was super vague. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because usually when you get something that's newsworthy, it's like, you know, it's, di- you don't have to be looking at the reports like i don't understand what's written here yeah pretty much it's usually like video of a guy beating the crap out of someone yeah yeah again i mean either way yeah yeah i don't know i mean it's really sad to see that he had fallen off the wagon Mm -hmm. but if he's continued trying to keep himself clean after the the arrest then that's really all that matters because it's an everyday day after day battle yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The truck driver involved in the Humboldt Broncos team bus crash back in April 2018 has pled guilty to all charges laid against him. So, what's his name here? Yaskis Arat Sadu. I know for a fact I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Appeared in a Melfort, Saskatchewan courtroom when he was asked by the judge how he pleads in which he pled guilty. Do you know what the... To- like, so did they move on to sentencing from here or... No, from what I understand, they haven't yet. He just pled guilty. I think they might do it at a later time. Okay. But yeah, I guess it's... The best thing for this guy is just plead guilty. Yeah, pretty much. Because anything that happens... Like, if you go into the courtroom, your name's gonna get dragged. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so just keep your head down. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman was in Seattle this week when he made the announcement that the NHL All-Star Game and the NHL Draft are coming to the city of Seattle. The Seattle NHL franchise, who will begin play in the 21-22 season, will host the All-Star Game within its first seven seasons. Makes sense. Yeah. When did they host the draft? I don't know. I didn't read anything about that, to be perfectly honest with you, Tim. Because if I remember correctly, has Vegas hosted a draft yet? Nope. No, Vegas hasn't hosted yet. There's a lot of cities, when you when you really think about it, that haven't hosted a draft yet. Which is odd, because you think they would just psych, do a cycle until they're out and then start again. But I guess there's also 30-some teams. 31. Yeah. Almost soon to be 32. Yep. Well, Tim, let's head on to our next story. According to a report by CBC, a Calgary family who bought season tickets for the Vegas Golden Knights 
before their first game had revealed their membership had been revoked without warning. Cheryl Sullivan says that they have only been able to attend about half of the home games due to her residence in Calgary. And she revealed to CBC that she was informed by email that the team says her account was used primarily for the purpose of reselling tickets on the secondary market, which hurts fans who want memberships to attend games themselves. Now, you know what? I don't blame the Vegas Golden Knights on this one, to be perfectly honest with you, because I understand that they want they want to try and build the local fan base, right? But it, for people out of town, if you're trying to buy season tickets and you don't live in Nevada, that, that I don't know. I don't really blame Vegas on this one. Well, I mean, I don't know. I can cut this one. A, you can cut this one a bunch of ways, and this is definitely one that's not cut and dry because you can see the, the argument we want someone who has the pot potential to go to every game mm -hmm. but at the same time look at say some of the sense fans who uh, will buy a season tickets package and then sell off the leafs tickets to bring down the cost of the season tickets package yeah it's not right man and you know what <sighs> yeah so, i don't know i'm sorry i'm staying i'm siding with vegas on this one because i do understand their reasoning because they don't want to hurt the fan base and if there are people in you know say las vegas or even Reno, right? If they, I don't know how far Reno and Vegas are away from each other, but if there's, say, fans nearby that want tickets but can't get them, then I, I yeah. can understand people in, like, this lady in Calgary. Apparently, there was a report of somebody in Utah, in Ontario, all all around the all around that their tickets are being revoked left and right because they started selling them on the secondary market. Yeah, and, well, the thing is, is if you'll, I don't know what the exact terms are on the on the tickets but they may very well have a secondary market exclusion mm -hmm. so the team's definitely within their rights to do it yep. um i guess this gets a little sticky when you consider snowbirds yeah that's true that is true but you do got to realize that even though say snowbirds aren't like they're not local to the market no. but if but imagine like but, a lot of these snowbirds live down in, in Arizona and Nevada and these sort of places in the south during the winter. Yeah, so like Vegas's population swells, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's the difference between living in a place six months plus a day, six months minus a day, right? Yeah. Like it's it's an interesting question. You can't say the team's in the wrong here. No. Um, honestly, I think the cons like I think maybe the maybe teams aren't upfront enough with the terms of the season tickets package mm -hmm. that's like and i'll use you as an example right that's like if you live in calgary and you're a season ticket holder for say i don't know say the dallas stars right but you don't live in mm -hmm. texas and you start selling yeah, yeah. tickets off in the secondary market and well, i can understand that yeah exactly and i can send that say the dallas stars would be mad at you going well what the hell are you doing like hey you know what if you know, if you can't go to these games, maybe you should give it to somebody who can go to all the 41 games. The counter-argument is, well, that's why I'm putting them on the secondary market, but I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting, honestly. But, but the problem is, Tim, is that the secondary market, people can, uh, can chalk up the prices, and maybe that's what... I don't know, maybe if Vegas is factoring that in all of this versus, you know, they want to build... Like I said, they want to build the local fan base so it is such a gray area and it does get a little sketchy when you start doing well, stuff like that like for secondary market for like secondary market price gouging for the playoffs 
yeah, I can definitely see that. But uh, I wonder how much, like, for teams like, say, Ottawa or Dallas, I wonder how much of a margin you can actually get. Because a lot of those teams will have spare tickets anyway, so you can't price above the market. Yeah. Well, Tim, let's head on to our next story. The Philadelphia Flyers play-by-play broadcasters Keith Jones and Jim Jackson were caught off-air ripping the Flyers during their seven-game losing streak and called for specific players to be traded. Among the comments made, Jackson claimed Fletcher needs to call up Nicholas Abakubel, while Jones called out Dale Weiss and Jacob Forchak, claiming Weiss needs to go, and Forchak quits and shuts down if he's not getting his ice time. I don't know enough about the Flyers to really say anything on this situation. Although, to be fair, uh, oh, am I looking up the right Weiss here? Uh, is it Steven Weiss or Tyler Weiss here? Dale. Uh, Dale Weiss. Uh, I spelled the guys right. It's a good thing I can spell. Yeah. Uh, Dale Weiss. He hasn't had the greatest season. In fact, you could say he's been bad. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what they're not, what they're saying isn't wrong. No, no, they're absolutely in the right. And, they, but you know what? The, the fact that they got caught, caught. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing, right? It's that it's not that they made the comment. It's that they got caught. It's like, even looking back at the San Zuber video, it's not the fact they made the comment. It's the fact they got caught saying it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're, a lot of us are thinking it. Mm-hmm. Like, even with the Uber video, right? How many times have we said on this show, this sucks, this sucks, this needs to change, this sucks, fuck CC, shit like that, right? But we're not on the Ottawa Senators. We're not in the public eye. We're just a couple of podcasters. Yeah, exactly. And you have to be professional about this sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. Hockey Night in Canada's Don Cherry made comments regarding Canucks rookie Elias Pettersson following his injury suffered during the game versus Montreal. Cherry commented that Pettersson got hurt because he was looking for trouble and also stated that he's got to stop looking for trouble because he'll find it in the NHL if he does. This is fucking stupid. Like, it, it was an accidental tangle-up play. Yeah, but you know what? I looked at the play, and I can kind of see what Don Cherry's talking about, because Pedersen looked like he was kind of needling him a little bit on the play. So I understand that it was an accident, right? Obviously, uh, the Canadiens player didn't mean to hurt him, but it was kind of like with... Kind of a different situation with uh, Mike Matheson earlier this year when he body-slammed Pedersen to the ice. Well, I mean, the Matheson one is... Di- completely different and completely egregious, and you can't defend Matheson for that. No, I That's can't. That's a play. This one's an accident, but the in, even in the case of the accident, Don Cherry's comment doesn't follow. Peterson, even if Peterson was looking for trouble, that didn't get him hurt. It was a, it was an accident. Stop trying to make it out like these European players are fucking softies. No, and it's funny. And when you look back at those old... Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em videos with some of the comments he made about European players. And you look at him now because he was super pissed that Evgeny Malkin did make the NHL greatest 100 players. And he became a fan of Pavel Burry and Sergei Fedorov and some of these players that maybe aren't the toughest, that aren't North Americans. Mm-hmm. But it still kind of shows through. And I feel like a lot of these comments about Elias Pettersson are some of that. And you can't really be going and 
trying to make this whole thing about the guy who's injured is at fault. That's, for the most part, stupid. Mm-hmm. Especially in the case of a freak accident. So, Tim, I got no more comments to make on if you want to move on to the next story. That, I, I just think Grapes... <laughs> Grapes' best before date is long past. Yeah, he's... Uh, and it's, yeah, he's definitely past it, buddy. Yeah, and it's not like... Uh, with uh, Bob Cole, where it's still reasonable play-by-play with a bit of cute mistakes. This is getting bad. Mm-hmm. Following the cross-check on Oilers captain Connor McDavid from Anaheim Ducks' Hampus Lindholm, which went unpenalized, NHL insider Elliot Freeman believes McDavid's reputation among officials are to blame for this, while Sportsnet's Nick Kiprios was adamant that the play should convince McDavid to take matters into his own hands. What What's interesting is Ray Ferraro comments on this. And he basically comes in and says that if McDavid has a reputation, like, looking at the plays, it's McDavid, there should be more penalties called against McDavid, and it's absurd that some of the best players in the league are getting treated this badly because the because the refs think it's unfair that a good player had, draws penalties. Mm-hmm. Like, if McDavid's really good, he's going to catch a lot of defenders flat-footed, and they're going to take it out on him. There's going to be more holding on McDavid because he's going to blow by people. There's going to be more hooking, more slashes, more cross-checks. Yeah, and we even saw that 20 years ago with guys like Mario Lemieux, right? Where he would blow right by you, but guys are hacking and slashing and trying to hold him to stop him. Yeah, and the ref should call that. Yeah, but... Like, why are you penalizing a player for being good? Yeah, but the thing is, is that what if, say, a defenseman tries to hook McDavid, and McDavid dives, and he gets called for a penalty? Well, who's saying McDavid's diving? I'm not saying that, but what if, right? Uh, What if the defenseman tries to stop McDavid, and hooks him, and McDavid drops? Okay, well, it's like, well, fuck, okay, we just penalized the defenseman. But there's... But at this point, are we even suggesting McDavid's a diver? No, no, I'm sure, not saying that. I'm not like, saying that. I'm saying what, we're what if, right? Is well, what if that dive, happens? Obviously. But this is the thing. The refs need to be better. Like, you can't let shit like that go, especially if people are getting injured. Like, this isn't a what if diving sort of thing, and I think refs are smart enough to figure out when an embellishment's happening. These are guys that are, they make a career out, out of figuring out what's in, what's in line in a hockey game and what's not they know that rule book front to back like sure you make mistakes but well some mistakes are inexcusable and if it's consistently happening to one player that's not good like sure if he's diving call it the dive mm-hmm. but if he's not and you're letting hacks and slashes go you're basically you're punishing the league's best players to prop up some shitty plugs and that's not good that's not even good for the on ice product because you want the exciting players to be able to dominate. Because that's what makes the game fun. Mm-hmm. You gotta call this stuff. And, like, I think that Ray Ferraro was exactly right about that. Well, I got no more comments, Tim. I think we should head on to the next story, buddy. Did I get a bit too fired up about that? No, it's pretty good, man. I got fired up, too. But I feel it's just ready to go on to the next story, bud. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. Montreal Canadiens forward Jonathan Duran left the ice during Habs practice on Monday after he went down hard. Duran was not hit by a fellow teammate or a puck, but simply fell awkwardly and was only shaken up. No, it's, at least it's good he came back to the ice. Mm-hmm. That 
like just those awkward falls are like those are the ones that i'll do deceptive amounts of damage yeah and it's nice to hear like, the story from Habs practice it doesn't involve teammates beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, or uh, the coach shit-talking one of their newly acquired players. Yeah. Still can't get over that one. I can't either, man. That's just like, shitty. And note, Tarion hasn't been back in the league. No kidding, and I should actually sit down and try to read uh, Briere's book because that could be really interesting. Hockey books, for me, is a very hit-and-miss thing because, you know, like, I read George Larocque's book, and I was really underwhelmed by it because I thought, oh, yeah, he's going to have some really good stories playing in Edmonton, uh, playing with Gretzky, or playing for Gretzky, I should say, not playing with Gretzky. And, yeah, I just went away going, eh, that's okay. I mean, not I understand not every hockey book's not going to be Theo Fleury's book or Sean Avery's or some of the other really good ones out there. So I'm very little comprehensive on whether or not I should really read it. Yeah, and I guess it comes down to the ghostwriter as well. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes, like, I've seen ghostwriters, like, really hit it, like, uh, George Bush's memoirs, uh, like, the Avery book, like, fantastic ghostwriters. Uh, actually, yeah, Obama's memoirs are very well written as well, but, uh, yeah, no... As you're saying, the LaRock one was just a huge miss. Uh, Sarah Palin's was awful. Yeah, but, but you know yeah. certain players, though, that they're not going to give you the dirt. Yeah, but George LaRock seems like the guy who would. Mm. No, he seems pretty democratic, man. I don't know if he really would. I guess. But then again, I guess I just have this idea that all instigator, like, call kind of instigator-type players are Sean Avery. True. True, true. Finnish junior hockey coach Yussi Aukas and his wife Alina had agreed to use the World Junior Championship trophy to baptize their newborn son. Aukas was coaching Finland at the World Junior Hockey Championship in Vancouver when his son was born. What? Yeah, I actually should have brought this up right after we talked about Matthew Shane and his son, but... Yeah, apparently the trophy, he's going to baptize it. Now, I understand NHL players have done this in the back with the Stanley Cup... But never with the World Junior Championship trophy. That just seems unsanitary. Well, they clean it. It's not like they're going to th- dunk the kid's head into a dirty bowl. What I mean, how well can you clean that thing? Well, I guess surprised. you could say the same thing about the baptism font, but still. Ugh. Yeah. National Predators defenseman P.K. Subban sent a 13-year-old boy a quick message after the boy was dealing with racist taunts from opponents this season on the ice. You know, it's funny, eh? Like, I was never a P.K. Subban fan when he played in Montreal, and since he's gone to Nashville, I've really... I've really changed my opinion about him, because you read stories like this, and he seems like a really genuinely good guy. Yeah, no, like, even in Montreal, he was fantastic. We just didn't like him because he was an asshole on the ice, and we saw him a lot. Like, remember that slash on Mark Stone in 2015? Or when he cracked a stick over Stone's head on the play before. Ugh. But, uh, no, but even in Montreal, like, he was donating huge amounts of money to the... to the Montreal Children's Hospital. They named a wing after him, for God's sakes. And they traded uh, him! Yeah, and they traded him. But it's, uh, Weber one for one. But, uh... Yeah, no, I never understood why they did that, because the guy was big in the community, fan favorite. Huh. Sounds familiar. 
Yeah. Let's but move on no. to our next story, Tim. Winnipeg Jets defenseman Dustin Bufflin surprised the locals of the Petersonville Motor Inn Bar in Petersville, Manitoba, when he popped into the bar for a couple of beers on New Year's after spending the day ice fishing. Bufflin has been seen in the past at the bar hanging out with the locals. Where the hell is Petersfield? Well, I know it's in Manitoba. I know that. Doesn't that doesn't tell us a lot. Well, you know what, Tim? Maybe I'll do a quick Google search here, buddy, for you. Yeah, but, like, Peter, like, these, Man- there's so many of these tiny little Manitoba towns. Like, it could be way the hell up north. It could be down by the U.S. border. Because, like, my, oh, it's by, like, Manitoba. Yeah, it's a 40, 45-minute drive north of Winnipeg. Sorry, yeah, by, like, Winnipeg. But, like, there's so many tiny-ass little towns in Manitoba all over the place, right? Yeah, like, uh, Maybe. like, Pinawa. Pinawa, or, like, my, uh, my grandmother used to live in a small town called Reston. Never Population heard of it. 800. And it's just like in the tucked away in the southwest corner there. So it's like a town name in Manitoba doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. But no, it is great to see that at least Dustin Bufflin's willing to hang out with the locals, right? That he's not above them to not do that. Mm-hmm. No, and Dustin Bufflin's always seemed kind of like another one of those guys who's always... Uh, doing stuff with the fans and tr- trying to be involved with the community. So, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Absolutely. Buffalo Sabres defenseman Rasmus Rustalainen broke LIFRE's record for the hardest shot at the Sabres annual skills competition with a 107.5 mile-per-hour slap shot. The record is just shy of the all-time record set by Sedano Chara in the 2012 All-Star Game at 108.8. Now, can you imagine if LIFRE used the sticks that are used now in the NHL. Yeah, you'd probably be able to rip that thing huge. The fucking thing would go right through the boards, man. Him and Al McInnes. Oh, Wasn't geez. Al McInnes around when composite sticks were starting to come in, though? Yeah, he was sort of coming into the, uh, the later years, though. But mm-hmm. the thing is, Al McInnes never used composite. He always used wood sticks. Oh, okay. I could never use a wood stick, though. Wood sticks, to me, just seem really heavy and it doesn't you can't get much off of a shot that's why i, I guess it's just, it. yeah i guess it's just what you're used to though because i remember uh i think my older brother used to use mostly wood because he didn't like the way that uh composite reverberate reverberated in his hands mm-hmm. so it's definitely a comfort thing too yeah but the thing is with composite sticks if you get a a really stiff stick like i don't know, say like a hundred flex uh-huh. It doesn't vibrate at all. It's just like almost... To me, it's almost like using a wood stick, except it's uh, really, really light and I can actually use it. I use 100 flex. Apparently, uh, one of the guys at Drop in Hockey saying that's way too stiff for what they actually use it because they don't use slap shots. Mm. But I've been perfecting my snap shots and I still haven't scored yet, so... It'll come, Tay. It'll it come. Will. Hey, you know what's also going to come, Tim? What? Free vodka for Artem Pantanarian. Only if he stays in Columbus, though. Columbus-based distillery High Bank put up a billboard in the city trying to entice Blue Jackets forward Artemi Pananarian to stay in Columbus with a tempting offer of free High Bank vodka for life. Panarin's agent was the one who tweeted the photo out, and Panarin himself took a selfie in front of the billboard. Damn. But at the same time, I'm not a vodka guy, so wouldn't work on me, but if... If the city wants to keep him that badly, maybe he'll reconsider. Yeah. Hard to Although say, you though. drank a screwdriver with me in Calgary. 
Yeah. Wait, didn't I? No, I thought I had a mimosa instead. Did you have a mimosa? I thought you had a screwdriver as well. Oh, uh, I think I bought a screwdriver. But yeah, yeah, I'm not really a vodka person. I'm not a... You know what's funny? I'm not a vodka guy either, but you know what? I've never had a screwdriver. And I just looked at you and you're looking at me like, son of a bitch, I know that I'm going to have to order one too now. Yeah, pretty much. It was all right. Not enough yeah. alcohol for my liking, but what else? Well, remember we didn't even think there was alcohol in it at first? That's true. The guy was willing to put an extra two shots in there for us. I was like, no. Yeah, no. We have a day of drinking ahead of us. Yeah. <laughs> what do we got next? Columbus Blue Jackets goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky, was suspended by the team before their game versus the Nashville Predators due to an incident that failed the team's expectations and values. GM Yarmo Kikalainen stated that this is an internal matter and no further comment was made. And the plot thickens from here. Well, it's interesting because uh, later on in the week, uh, they talked to Bobrovsky and he's basically like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm going to say my emotions got the better of me and uh, it's all good now. It's just a weird situation. Yep. Especially for an upcoming UFA. It is, but you know what? And I, from what I understand, apparently he didn't like the fact that he got pulled after three goals and he just went in a locker room and didn't come out. Huh. I don't know. There's just, it's hard to say because no one's speaking about it. Yeah. Apparently him and Torts uh, had a few heated words after that, but, you know, I can, I can believe that. I mean, Tortorella has been known to do that in the past. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's whole sections of Sean Avery's book just ripping the guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not surprised uh, that something like this happened. I do wonder if that affects Bobrovsky's willingness to stay with the team or not, but, again, it's just idle speculation at this point. Exactly. Sportsnet's John Shannon revealed that former NHLer and current NHL and NBC broadcaster Eddie Olchek admitted to using an illegal stick throughout his career. Olchek stated, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Nice. Yeah. But also, isn't this the era when they were all drinking between periods? Yeah. I mean, they weren't hacking darts like Guy Lafleur, but, you know, as far as yep. we know, they weren't even doing coke before, uh, before periods. Shit. That probably gives you super hockey power. Yeah, look at Bob Probert. Oh, Jesus. What? It's a known fact. I know, but also, he did. Oh, by the way, Tim, I did get a chance to watch his documentary. Uh-huh. How was it? Was it was actually not too bad. It, to me, I wish there was some more details, like some more juicy stories that came out of that, but overall, I think his book was better. His book was way better because it's written by Bob himself. Oh, it's not ghostwritten? Uh, no, I think it was. I think it was ghostwritten. I think it was done by the same person who did Theo Fleury's book, too. Okay. Maybe that guy's just a really good ghostwriter. Maybe. Let's see. Look, I have the book right here. <laughs> Ugh. You fucking bastard. Come on. Alright. Uh, Bob Prober with... Christy, McHale, and Dave. Yeah, I think it's the same person who did Theo Fleury's book. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's time to talk about some Ottawa Senators stories, Tim. Ooh, these ones are incredibly, incredibly interesting. Yes. <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs have traded forward Morgan Kilmchuk to the Ottawa Senators for forward 
Gabriel Gagne. Klimchuk recorded five goals, five assists for 10 points in 30 games with the AHL's Stockton Heat and Toronto Marlies, while Gagne recorded four goals, five assists for nine points in 33 games for the AHL's Belleville Senators. I don't really understand this trade from Toronto's perspective. Because Gagne was definitely in a position to to shit or get off the pot, and as far as Ottawa's concerned, and uh, most people watching the minor league teams, he got off the pot. While uh, the player that Ottawa picked up seems to have actually seen some NHL action with some not bad teams, so and is generally better. Yeah, but I feel that these moves have been made to sort of shake up the Belleville Senators, though. Oh, yeah, no. I'm not saying I don't get this from Ottawa's perspective. I don't get this from Toronto's perspective. Yeah, but I mean, I guess Toronto must have so much talent in their minor league system that they can make a trade like this and it doesn't really affect them. But I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's like, true. Look at Panarin going to Columbus. For... Yeah. This is just a weird trade for the Senators. Sorry, I mean, not for the Senators. I, I like this trade for the Senators. I don't get it from the Maple Leafs' perspective. Mm-hmm. Unless we... they see something in Gagne, we don't. I don't know. Then we'll go into our second story, Tim. Boston Bruins have traded defenseman Cody Gulabeff to the Ottawa Senators for forward Paul Carey. Gulabeff recorded three goals and nine assists for 12 points in 16 games for the AHL's Providence Bruins, while Carey recorded five goals, 22 assists in 27 games, and 20, 27 points in 29 games for the AHL's Belleville Senators. This one's kind of funny because uh, Carey was brought in as NHL depth. I've seen some... N- Sorry, AHL death has seen some NHL time. And now he's gone. Yep. Yeah, I wonder if, like... To me, this just seems like Belleville is trying to shore up their defense. And Paul Carey is now going back to to Boston because that's where he's originally from. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, no, this this trade doesn't look too bad, but just seems kind of meh. I guess Belleville is still not too far out of a playoff spot to be discounted. Yeah. And to push comes to shove, I wouldn't be surprised if the Senators, they'll see Belleville has a chance. Ottawa doesn't. They might do what they did in 2011 and send some of their more promising prospects down mm-hmm. to make a Calder Cup push like when they won in 2011. Yeah, that would be something if they sent down like a Shabbat... A, who would they also send down? Rudolph Balsers. Some of their young guys go like, hey, go another, go win another Calder Trophy for us. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends who's waiver exempt. Like, I guess Brady Kachuk, Willan, and those sort of guys. Yeah. Well, It'd Tim, that team, wraps awesome. up top of the hour for this week. So... It's time to go on to talk about the four games this evening. we got four games. We've got the Hurricanes versus the Senators... Senators versus the Ducks, Sens versus the Kings, and the Sens versus Eric Carlson. Oh, I'm sorry, I mean Sens versus the Sharks. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Hurricanes versus the Senators. This is a 5-4 Hurricanes victory. Hurricanes goals were scored by Justin Falk, Brock McGinn, Jacob Slavin, Dougie Hamilton, and Justin Williams. Sens goals were scored by Matt Duchesne, Ryan DeSingle, Rudolph Balsers with his first NHL goal, and 
Peugeot, 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 Peugeot. Shots were 31-29 for the Ottawa Senators. Justin Falk opened up the scoring for Carolina on a point shot to make it 1-0. Brock McGinn slides at 5-hole after intercepting a Mark Stone pass and splits the D to make it 2-0. Matt Deschewin scores to make it 2-1 after getting the Bobby Ryan rebound. Jacob Slavin hammers home hammers at home to make it 3-1. Ryan Dezingle scores to make it 3-2. Dougie Hamilton scores to make it 4-2. Rudolph Balsers with a beauty goal to make it 4-3. Jean-Gabriel Pajot ties the game at 4 with 39.9... 39.5 seconds left in the second period. And Justin Williams scores on a screenshot to make it 5-4 Hurricanes, which would be the final. So I had to condense watch this game, and normally I would explain why. I don't actually remember what I was doing that day. I know I was watching the Seahawks game later on that night, but yeah, I don't even remember what I was doing that well, day. Well, this was another matinee, so you, pro- you might have slept and missed it. I know I'd part of it but this was a weird fucking game because mm-hmm. overall because from what i saw i thought ottawa played a really good game but their goaltenders let them down yeah this is like the inverse of like this is the weird game because usually carolina gets a lot of shots really outshoots their opponent but loses because their goaltenders screwed it up for them yeah yeah ottawa came out played really well won the shot battle Hoberg and Nielsen just really didn't have a night. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I really noticed, and we're going to mention this throughout the next couple of games, mm-hmm. the Ottawa Senators look like such a different team out there with Pajot in the lineup. They really do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's Pajot himself that's maybe helping the room out, but it just seems like the Ottawa Senators compete level has been really high and Bobby Ryan's been playing really well and Jean-Gabriel Pajot played really good in the games that I saw. Yeah. Another name I want to throw into that hat is Christian Willannon. He has okay. been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And definitely when we got to the Kings game, he's definitely going to yeah. be somebody I'm going to mention too. Well, he even had a pretty good game, all things considered, other than matching up against Justin Falk and Calvin DeHaan. Uh, but that wasn't his primary matchup. Like, against uh, Slavin and Pesks, him and DeMello did quite well, and they were generally on the right side of the puck full night, and that's been consistent of Will Annan, and having that extra puck movement is going to give the Senators a lot more options. Mm -hmm. The only real... Like, the big knock against the Sens, though, is they really didn't come out for the third period. And I wonder if that's two matinees in a row. Right. Because, like, they play... Oh, crap. Why am I blanking on who they played the day before? Uh, Minnesota? Minnesota, yeah. They played a matinee against Minnesota, deflated. They cut, They could have won that one, but didn't. Uh, so this is the second matinee game in two days. Mm-hmm. That probably wore on them. And they came out really flat in the third. Yeah. A couple of notes I just want to make. Rudolph Balsers with his first NHL goal. That was a beauty goal that he scored. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, first game of the season, he scored. Uh, as usual, the Tachuk White stone line, I thought good. A line that I was kind of impressed with what I saw was Bodecker, Balsers, and Tierney. They didn't look too bad for what I saw. No, not at all. Yeah. Might not have been totally on the right side of the puck, but it wasn't a lot of high event hockey, so you can kind of forgive that. Um, yeah, other than that, I think it was... Uh, it's one of those games that 
it definitely happens near the end of a losing skit. Or, well, I don't want to say that. That's a bit too teleological. But they happen all the time during losing skits. The team played well enough to win, but didn't. Yeah. Speaking about skids. On to the next game. Yep. Sens versus Ducks. This is a... Wait, wait. Two to one Senators overtime victory? D- d- did we do it? I think we did it. We win. Oh my god. I need. I think I need to sit down. Wait, I already am sitting down. I'm too emotional. This is the two to one Sens overtime victory. Sens goals were scored by Bobby Ryan and Colin White in overtime. Ducks goals were scored by Jakob Silverberg. That's a guy actually I miss on the Senators myself. Shots were 33-30 for Anaheim. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams started off the game with some urgency and speed while trying to create scoring chances. However, as the game went on, it appeared Anaheim was getting more scoring chances than Ottawa. This was really, for me, this was more of a goalie duel because Anders Nielsen, 32 saves, a .970 save percentage, looked really good in this. And John Gibson didn't look too bad with 28 saves and a point. 933 save percentage. Yeah, both goalies played great, and he had to because we're talking about two D teams that were in death spirals because coming into this game, Anaheim had also lost eight in a row. Yep, and they're still losing. And they're still losing, and that led to a trade earlier in the week. Um, honestly, I didn't think the Senators looked too bad, although this was an odd off night for Mark St- for the Mark Stone line. They they really fighting it all night. Yeah, they bit, were. Right? And actually, one note I do want to make, and maybe I'll mention it during the Kings game, I feel so bad for Brady to chuck because that guy's so snake-bitten right now. You can yeah. tell that he's trying to get something going. He's creating chances, and he's not playing bad. He's just unable to score. Yeah, and I think like he just hasn't been rewarded for the good work he's doing. Yeah. Uh. Max Lejoie, I thought, had a very good night. Like, he was constantly pushing the puck the way it needed to go. Mm-hmm. And I hope we see more games out of him like that. I already said it last game. But I'm a little disappointed. What I'm really disappointed about in this game, though, is some coaching decisions. Okay. Specifically, Guy Boucher, and it comes and says, we need to be big and tough. We'll land it out. Yeah, and that's the one of the notes I have is, to me personally, this is one of the better games I've seen Ottawa play. Offensively, I thought they looked really solid. They did look really good, def- or looked better on defense, you know, except for Harper. I know, yeah. how many how many times could we actually say that, that even Cody Cece looked better than Ben Harper out there? Well, I mean, Ben Harper's not good. Um, but yeah, honestly, Cody Cece didn't play too bad. Mm-hmm. Bobby Ryan, I thought he played a really good game, playing like he was at the beginning of the season. Colin White, like I said, scored the OT winner, snaps an eight-game losing streak. To me, that was a really, really good play by Mark Stone to go coast-to-coast. And one note I have to make is that, I don't know if you saw, apparently Ben Harper was with, in collaboration with Canadian Tire, he was doing a, I don't know if it was a hockey camp or something in his hometown. Uh Uh-huh. Is he? From, I don't know if he's. No, he's it's in, it was in Niagara Falls, yeah, and yeah. apparently the Ducks forward. It looked like he gave up half back check, so <laughs> I don't know if he was at the at that um, hockey camp or not. But you know, hard to say. Yeah. Uh, but also, thanks for the hat tip, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. 
But also, well, actually, one note I want to make, I don't know if either of us were going to bring it up, Bob Murray, this was his 1,000th game in a manage, managerial role, and I think he's one of several, I think he's one of like seven people who played 1,000 games in NHL and 1,000 games in a management role. That's actually kind of insane. Yeah. Because Bob Murray's basically been with the Ducks in a managerial role since Brian Murray left, right? Pretty much, man. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that's not true because Brian Burke was the GM after Brian Murray. Right, right, right. Yeah. But that's still an insane tenure as yeah. a GM. Because it's like him and Ken Holland. Yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah. But yeah, like, as far as overall game went, I don't think either team played all that well. It was just Anders Nielsen stood on his head. But that Bobby Ryan, like that white stone goal, just stone, like I think 99% of situations the player with the puck shoots there that stone even saw the lane he got holy shit that's beautiful like just great vision oh it was so good and it's actually funny that he outskated somebody because martin stone isn't exactly what i would call the fastest skater in the world to, to see him actually beat defensemen one-on-one is really great you know i think the knock on stone skating is honestly overrated sorry i think it's overplayed He's not a bad skater. That's the thing. He's not a bad skater. I just don't think he's an overly fast skater. No, but the other thing is he's smart enough to put himself in positions where he's going to win. So he's able to compensate for... And he's he's definitely an above... He's not a bad skater. Like, he's at least average or better. Mm -hmm. But he can beat faster opponents just because he gets much better position. Yeah, and I think he's just playing to his strengths by doing that. Because he knows he's not somebody like... A Thomas Shabbat or a Ryan Dezingle that can go coast to coast like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, Tim, I think it's time to go on and talk about the third game of the evening. Sens versus Kings. This is another victory. But also, the Kings are fucking garbage. Holy It doesn't shit. matter. We won. 4-1 I mean, Sens. This is, Sens goals were scored by Chris Tierney with two, Bobby Ryan, and Christian Milanen. Kings goals were scored by... Kyle Clifford. Shots were 34-26 for the LA Kings. A fairly even game overall. Both teams played a physical and hard-checking game with some score chance and throw in. Despite this, Ottawa did outplay LA in the second period and recorded by and was rewarded by scoring twice. Firstly, this was not nearly as exciting or fast-paced as the game versus Anaheim, but eh, it was okay, I guess. I'm not going to lie, this game was kind of boring. Yeah, and that's the one note I had, because in the third period, this is my synopsis. Makes it 3-1, plays defensively, and dumps the puck out of the zone. All they had to do was not shoot themselves in the foot. And they, well, the thing is, it's just like, the Kings are getting a lot of shots, but they weren't, outside of the first period, they weren't from great locations. The Senators kept a lot of, a lot more pressure on than they usually do. Like, usually when the Sens have a lead, like a 3-1 lead, which they got from a very beautiful Willanen goal, might I add. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the usual Guy Boucher turtle. But in this, the Sens were just up on the Kings throughout the whole third period, which I was very surprised by, given that that was a back-to-back game situation. Like, Ottawa came out, played hard, and kept going to the Kings, and you can really see the knock that the Kings are too old for this game. Yeah, and that's the one thing I really noticed in this game myself, was that you could tell... 
they lost a lot of speed. And LA was never known to be a very fast team. But you can tell that age has really caught up to them. Mm-hmm. One thing that did look very good for LA is their their second power play, like their second power play opportunity, really put the screws to the Senators. Like it was aggressive and very good shooting. Yeah. But I don't know, man. It's just after that first period, like I the first period, Ottawa came out really strong, and then White got injured. Yeah, that's it's pretty shitty. Yeah, and that kind of took the window of their sails until they came out really strong in the second. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention Chris Tierney with two goals. I thought he quietly had a good game. And Zach Smith with his two penalties in the first period, that could have totally backfired for the Senators. What's the Kings yeah. being on the power play? No kidding. Um, the Willanant, the Willanant de Mello line had a very good outing. Like, they totally shut down LA's top line. And Willanton was roared with a goal. It's a shame that the CC Lejoie night took mo had the most ice time because they got they got pushed in. Mm-hmm. And like but, I said in the last game, Brady to Chuck Snake bit. I thought he had a number of good chances in this game, but to me he couldn't score. Anders Nielsen, and I know that you already pointed out that the shots by the LA Kings were in not great positionings. Still, I thought he looked solid. Thirty three saves, a point nine seven one save percentage. And, you know, he did his job in the third period by keeping the Senators in it, at least. Well, watching... Anders Nielsen's a weird goalie. Because he plays very aggressively, but there's this weird lack of confidence to it. Yeah, because certain games, he looks good, and then other games are like, what the fuck is going on? Like the one against Carolina. Well, even in this game, there's like... One play sticks out his mind. He's like... He's almost a foot out of the blue paint to make this... To basically just take all the angles away from Kovalchuk. And then he looks behind him to make sure he's got the puck. Like that weird double look. Like, do I have it? Do I actually have it? Sort of panic double look. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad you made the smart play, but make plays that you trust yourself in, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just weird. Do you want to talk about the, the Muzzin hit on Colin White? Sure, we could talk about that real quickly. That was huge. It was huge. But it wasn't dirty. No, not at all. And it's just a shame. What I'm more impressed with is Colin White managed to get off the ice. Like, yeah, he just absolutely. Stood up, got off, and that was that. Um, no, but overall, I think the Sens had a very good outing. Uh, as much as Brady Kachuk is snake, snake bit, and he's out there definitely doing the right things. Uh, I loved his positioning on the call, on the Bobby Ryan goal. Mm-hmm. Like he was in the like in the crease, just causing nothing but havoc. When Ryan loads up, just gets it in there. It's awesome. Yeah. Do you want to go on to talk about the fourth game of the evening? Yeah. Okay. Sens versus Sharks. This is a four to one Sharks victory. Sens goals are scored by Ryan Dezingle. Sharks goals are scored by Joe Bavelski, Brent Burns, Joe Thornton, and Melker. Not Eric. Melker Carlson. Shots were 31-28 for the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> a somewhat even a somewhat even game overall by both teams. Both teams got off to a fast-paced start, which resulted in both teams getting a number of chances. However, San Jose's offensive attack gave the Sharks the upper hand, which resulted in the floodgates opening in the third period. Once again, I thought Ottawa's compete level was really solid in this game. The only problem, they couldn't capitalize on the rebounds. 
Yeah, and it was rough because Ottawa was, I felt, like, in the first and even into the second period, Ottawa had the better game. Like, they really took it to San Jose. Mm-hmm. And that was the one thing I noticed on Twitter was somebody even said, this is probably one of the most complete games we've seen Ottawa play all year. It's a shame they didn't get the W. Yeah, and I felt Brent Burns looked really, even though Brent Burns was rewarded on the score sheet and Eric Carlson wasn't, mm-hmm. I feel like Brent Burns had a really bad game. Expect, like, he was in the Cody CC zone mm-hmm. on the shot charts. That's not a place you want to be. No. And I felt like whenever uh, Will Will and DeMello were on the ice, Brent Burns was completely ineffective. And but you can also see that this the Senators had played their fourth game in three nights and they were they're missing some of their best players right now. Mm-hmm. And as you can see just the energy just wasn't there in the third period. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you know what, though? They never gave up. And that's one of the nice things about this game was that... Like, the one thing I really appreciate about the Sens, especially in this game and throughout these other games, has been their compete level. You know, they get down by a couple of goals. They're still in it. This is not like how the team has usually played all year. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it is just, like you were saying, Pajot coming back. Or maybe just getting a few wins under their belt. Mm-hmm. But you, but even, uh, and we've been talking about it all night, is that the Sens look better with Pajot in the lineup. So maybe Pajot's presence in the lineup has really helped out quite a bit. Well, I, I think Willette, like just getting better puck movers in the lineup as well. Like Willanen seems to have earned Guy Boucher's trust. He's played, he played the most out of any player in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And I hope that means we'll add and get a house is coming up next. Yeah, I hope uh, so. Because I think we'll add it's been fantastic. Yeah, and that's and the, the nice thing. And is, even I have it in my notes. I said that the young guns look solid. Rudolph Balsers had a couple of really good chances. We'll add looks solid on the defense. Brady Deschuck again looked especially good, but was snake bitten. Yeah, honestly, I'm really happy with the California road trip and what's next. Nice as the rumors are that CC is being seen as expendable now. Yeah, finally. Well, I mean, Ottawa finally has some puck movers. It has some young blood. Let's get rid of the chaff. Uh, and apparently going into next week, uh, Harper, Falk, and maybe even Burrow might not play. Ooh. Which hard, is... That's hard to believe. Fa- fantastic news. Also, I'm a little sad I didn't make this joke during the Carolina game. But... Their Justin Falk is way better than our Justin Falk. That is true, Tim. That is true. But, I don't know, I think maybe we'll have some good hockey to watch this week. Uh, we won't have to stay up till like 11 or midnight, even later, to watch Sens games. Well, speak, Which, well, speak for yourself, Tim. I mean, Jesus Christ, I work night shifts, and that's what I do. I mean... Oh, oh, wait, oh yeah, that's right, you're referring to people on the East Coast. The East Coast, yeah. I mean, and that's the real sin of the L.A. game being boring as shit. Yeah. Well, even like an 8 p.m. Like, sure, it's not a 10 p.m. start like it is on the East Coast, but like an 8, 8.30 start. Yeah. I'm going to bed at midnight. That sucks. Yeah. Which means people in Ottawa are going to bed at 2. Nuts to that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's always been the criticism of the Western road trip is that the fans always have to stay up later to watch the games. Yeah, I'm surprised they try not... 
I'm surprised those Western road swings don't happen more on weekends. But I guess there's only so many hours in a day. That's and so true. many West Coast teams to fill up the weekdays. Yeah, that's true. But I, I do like my interaction with Trevor Shackles when he commented. He goes, he goes, man, imagine if you could actually watch a game at 7 o'clock while it's happening. And I said, I know. Imagine if those people found out about watching games live at 4 o'clock. I know. Even 5 o'clock isn't good enough. Because that's when we get the start in Calgary, but still. Yeah, but a lot of people are getting off work at 5 o'clock. I mean, same, but... Unless you work in kitchens, and then that's when you start. Yeah, true. I just want to mention really quickly about the goalies. Anders Nilsson, 28 saves, a .903 save percentage. I did feel bad for him in this game because there was not much he could do on those goals. And Martin Jones, 27 saves, .964 save percentage, stoned Ottawa throughout this game. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, the Senators could have made this a tighter game. Yeah. I think that's definitely the difference between the San Jose we saw in Ottawa and the San Jose we played tonight. Yeah, but in fairness, it's a different scenario because that was an afternoon game. Oh, for sure, which has got to be awful for a West Coast team. Yeah. But, well, you... But then again, up until that point of the G- the season, Martin Jones hadn't been playing well anyway. No, that's true. So a reinvigorated Martin Jones has sent San Jose ripping through the standings. Yeah, and, and also the play of Eric Carlson picking up too has also helped. Well, I mean, he had 15, 15 points in, sorry, a 15-game point streak, something that hasn't been done by a defenseman since Brian Leach. That's nuts. Really? Has it really been that long since defense yeah. has done that? Hmm. Hasn't happened since the 90s. Crazy. Yeah, and Ottawa traded that away. Boy. Yep. Uh. Also, uh, one thing that was interesting to know about this game is uh, Carlson was rather chummy throughout the whole game. Mm-hmm. And a lot the the coaching staff except maybe, I'm not sure if Guy Boucher was included, went out and chatted with Carlson after the game. I didn't see it. I saw the trainers did, but I don't think Guy Boucher did. No, I know the trainers for sure, but that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing, and I'm surprised neither of us brought this up, uh, was Brent Burns' 1,000 game in the NHL. Oh, you mean like the 20-minute delay before the game actually started, and they gave him like some freaking antelopes or something? Yeah. That was weird. It was. I get that he has like some sort of wildlife sanctuary, but still... Get the game started. Yeah, exactly. But then again, I guess Ottawa's had long gaps before starts for, uh, say, Carl, like Alfie's retirement was a fairly long ceremony, but still, I felt like the Brent Burns one was overdoing it. Yeah. Well, Tim, yeah. I don't have any more notes if you want to head off into the close. Yeah, no, I think we kind of talked this one to death. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I loved recording it for you. If you us on iTunes, please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsandscast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can also find us on Twitter, at thirdlinepluggers, our Twitter handle. Tim is at m901honeybadger, and I'm at greatwhitegipster, g-r-8-w-a-t-e, gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games that we spoke about tonight... Shoot us an email, thirdlightplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we only got three games to talk about for next week. We have got Whoa. the game versus the Avalanche at home. 
on Wednesday, Friday in Carolina to play the Hurricanes, and Saturday in St. Louis to play the Blues. I hope the Suns don't end up playing the Blues, man. Yeah. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jensen. Go Suns, guys. Woo! So long, my time here is up. They're going home!